Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Mountain Podcast. I'm your host with the most, Donovan. Uh, we're back at it again, fulfilling all of your content needs from the mountain. We're going to get right into it. Uh, this is an all-in service that happened at the mountain that Samuel is preaching on. It's incredible world about being all in for Jesus. And later on in the second service, there are some amazing baptisms and great stuff. I uh, can't wait for you guys to listen. We're going to have more discussions this next week, but uh, we'll talk more about that after the sermon is over. So Samuel, my friend, take it away. We do all in Sundays like two to three times. Uh, two to, every two to three months, we do all in Sundays. Uh, they're really Sundays that, are, that are, have the action and the community practice of baptism. But for me, it goes way beyond that. It goes to this, this, this notion of how we commit. And I was really thinking about how we commit a lot, and so I wanted to preach on it today. Our series this month has been on calling, or to be called, or called. And uh, it's been amazing. We've been, we've been talking about what it looks like to respond to the call of God is not necessarily to action as much as it is to be something. And then in the being, there's a lot of really amazing action that takes place because faith brings action. Uh, James talks about, hey, listen, if you say you have faith but no action, then your faith is dead. Uh, so your faith, that place of connection and being in God and belonging in God, it produces action. So we know this to be true. We know this to be a certainty for us is that our goal and our, our pursuit is to be a son or a daughter of God. It's to be in that identity with God and to carry that identity and really, to be called something is to be marked with the label. Uh, it's not just, hey, I was called by God, like he picked up his phone and called me. But it's also to be, he called me something. He called me a son, he called me a daughter. So it's really a marker of identity, not just a response to a voice. Because when I respond to his voice, it actually changes my label. Because when I've been called by him, I get to be called something different than what I was called before. I was called by him. Solid, solid, solid. So that's the, that's the bedrock of what we've been talking about. But I was, I was asking myself what it looks like to make commitments in this calling. What it, why it's almost difficult to make a commitment in this calling. One thing I notice about his calling is that it's a calling to, uh, to forever and all. It's called to eternal and everything. It's called to all of time and all of me. And that, if you think about the commitments we make in our life, forever and everything are really big amounts. Just like they're really big amounts. And they can even be daunting and scary. Have you ever gotten scared when you thought about, or it's just like it's really uncomfortable to think about eternity? Like that you could spend 100 years in heaven and then you spend the, just more. <laughs> it just keeps going. And that is a daunting, even terrifying thought. Eternity, like eternal space, eternal time, eternity, uh, there's no finiteness to this, there's no end to this. That can be a really scary thing. And when we respond to or when we hear like a preacher give a salvation call, or when we respond to salvation call, or when we get baptized, there really is this tag to it that's eternal. And it's everything. And it could be a little daunting. I thought about some of the commitments we make in our life, typically, that aren't God. And a lot of them are temporary. 
And I thought about what it would look like for us to make permanent commitments to some of these temporary things. And it kind of was funny to me. Some of the things I see as our current expressions of commitments are, uh, you know, we, we were not on a team forever. Like, we'll, we'll join a team and then the team will either disband or we'll join another team because it's a better team. Uh, and there's more talent or they win championships like the Patriots. Uh, or, or I'm so sorry, I'm just picking fights today, and that's not very nice. Uh, or we'll change restaurants. Uh, my dad, uh, he's, the, he's the senior pastor of ICLV, the senior leader. We love him. And he did this thing where he would go to, and my sister Isabel's here, she knows this, and, and he would go to a restaurant to Ignazium. He would go there, like for us, every Sunday, it was it was Hooligans at one point, and then it was Cheesecake Factory, and then it was Kona Grill, and then it was Gordon Biersch. And guys, he would go there all the time, forever and ever and ever, until one small thing would happen. I remember it was at Hooligans, and we had to wait probably five minutes longer than we should have. We never went back. We never went back. We never went back. And I remember we would have these small little things that would happen at these restaurants. Their service would begin to decline. They'd get a little complacent or they'd just, whatever it was. And then we would never go back and they would be on the blacklist. They would be on the list of things. We'd go, hey, how about hooligans? He'd be like, nah. And we would never go back to hooligans. And so we don't really make commitments to restaurants in an eternal way. And definitely not in an all-in way where that's the only restaurant we're going to eat at. Could you imagine having to eat at the same place every single day? <laughs> Some people are like, that sounds great. <laughs> as long as their menu's diverse. But for a lot of us, that's just, that's daunting. Imagine having to wear the same pair of shoes every single day. You'd be like a horse that has permanent shoes. And that's crazy. Have you ever thought about that? Horses get to wear one pair of shoes the rest of their life. Isn't that amazing? And stupid. Imagine that you could only have one car for the rest of your life. One house, one shirt, one pair of earrings, and you had to make a commitment to these things forever. Can you imagine that? We don't make most of our commitments in a forever style and fashion. We don't make most of our commitments in an exclusive fashion either. Uh, so oftentimes, if we go to a church, we don't necessarily say that I can't go to another church's conference. Or sometimes somebody will go to a church for years and then go to another church. Or they'll move cities and then obviously go to another church. Or I don't live in the same town forever. And I don't live in the same house forever. And these aren't bad things at all. I mean, just life changes and evolves, and we, we shift. We move. Our friendships change. The dynamic of our, even our family relationships change. You know, your relationship with your mom isn't the same way for the rest of your life. It shifts. It changes. When you were a baby, you obviously had baby needs for your mom to respond well to. Or when you were in the womb, you had needs for your mom to respond well to those places of care for you. But then when you're 12, you don't have the same needs as a newborn baby. That would be weird. And you don't have the same needs when you're 18 or 25 or 45 or 60. You don't have the same dynamic in relationship. The commitments change and the roles change. 
But imagine a journey with Jesus where you're saying yes to something that's not just in salvation, that's like, yep, absolutely. But you're saying yes to a faith journey that goes way beyond just that first yes. See, that first yes was really interesting because for each of us, when we first said yes to Jesus, can you remember that time when you first said yes to Jesus? Do you remember what you were struggling with when you first said yes to Jesus? For some of us, it was, it was pornography. For others, it was drugs. For others, maybe it wasn't such, so, such bad things. It was, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was other things, just minor lies or just uh, fear of man, uh, things like that. You, know? you can remember where you were at when you first said yes. You can remember the loneliness, maybe the depression, maybe the anxiety, maybe the, the suicidal tendencies or thoughts or the attempts of suicide. You could remember the places that you were in when you first said yes. Yes, I see you, Jesus, and I say yes to you. And you can think about those times, and you know what I realize is that we're different. We're different than we were when we first said yes. So that means to me that the things that God's doing in us are different as well. So my yes to him has to be fresh every single day. The Bible talks about it as like, pick up your cross every single day and follow me. There was a reason that he talked about it as a daily exercise. Is because every day I'm different. My language changes. I get, I get more offended or I get less offended. I get more frustrated or less frustrated. I get more equipped or based on my new circumstances, I feel like I'm not equipped at all. I was really good at volunteering like this. But then I started to lead a small group and then I realized I don't know, I don't know how to do this. Or I was really, really good at being a youth pastor. And then I became a pastor of a full church, like real full people, big people. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you're equipped for one thing. Like I was a really good youth pastor. Like I was a, I was a dope youth pastor. Some would even say I was, a, I was an awesome, like a, a, a good, greatest of all time. No, I wasn't the greatest of all time, that's for sure. But I, I, I loved it. You know, I was really, I was, I was in my niche. I was comfortable. I could score 45 every single game. And then you go from the uh, G League or you go from the minor leagues or you play for Duke to playing for the Lakers. And then you're trying to figure out how to even get on the starting squad, let alone score 45. You feel like, and I, I don't know if you ever played sports at one level and then went to the next level. Somehow everyone was faster. And it was really annoying. Because all of the moves you knew how to do to score were no longer good. I would make the same pass whoosh, like that, stolen, going the other way, dunk. Or lobbed up to the other guy and he dunks on you. You know how embarrassing it is to get dunked on? I've been dunked on. <laughs> and I was really happy that literally it was a traveling game and there was like one person in the audience. This guy was 6'9". He was as fast as I was and as agile as I was. And I was two on one. And I was like this. I went and I stopped the guard. And then he, he passed it to the other guy. And I'm like this. And I didn't realize how close the hoop was. And he did this right here. And I said, oh. <laughs> and I just barely like, as he's flying by me. Otherwise, it would have looked like it would have been one of those really embarrassing ones where you get, like, tackled as they're dunking on you. And this big 6'9 guy just flies by me. And he screams in my face. And I'm like, <laughs> and all of my teammates are like this. Whoa, dude, what just happened? 
I was like, man, I'm the only one back. That's why I got dunked on. <laughs> but you get these, these places where what you knew, the yes you said, the yes you said to God led you into places where you're like, hang on, time out. That's a giant and he can kill me. I said yes when it was just me and a couple sheep. I said yes when I was just writing psalms to you as I was hanging out with sheep in a pasture. But hang on, that's a lion. Hang on, that's a, that's a bear. Hang on, time out, that's Goliath. Hang on, time out. It was cool when I was eating meat in Egypt. I was cool with that. Now I'm in the desert and I'm starving. I said yes when it meant I no longer needed to be in slavery, but I don't know if my yes applies to starving. I said yes when I was starving, but I don't know if my yes applies to walking into that promised land and getting slain by giants. See, this yes is an eternal yes. It's not just a fixed one-time event. It's a a yes that remains. It's covenant yes. It's yes to not only, hey, yes in this moment, yes in how I feel right now because I feel abandoned, I feel broken, I feel bondage, I I feel like I can't break through. It's not just yes because you need him in that moment. It's yes because it's covenant relationship. And that goes way beyond that immediate moment. That goes way beyond, and saying yes to God is not just a temporary thing to fix or patch up something that's broken, or to fix poison, or to fix a wounded spot that's now infected and is causing other problems in your life. But it's saying yes to walking with God forever. It's continual, it's perpetual. Oftentimes, I think because that yes, that initial salvation yes, is tied to heaven and is tied to eternity, that we think it's an eternal yes because we're saying yes now to get our ticket to heaven. And that's when we spend an eternity yes with God. But the yes starts when you first say yes. And then you continue to walk with God every single yes, every single day. And you walk out your salvation. You carry it out. You carry it out, not in striving and saying, I need to be, ugh, I need to be better. I need to be better because this yes isn't a yes to mistake-free life. And this yes isn't a yes that, that all of a sudden doesn't have you failing uh, or, or failing in business or, or people being upset with you or people being offended with you. Honestly, Jesus talked about it. He says, hey, listen, they're not going to love you because you love me and you're with me. And they hated me, so they'll hate you as well. So oftentimes, this path with God is saying yes to him in a way that's going to absolutely, for sure, 100%, have people hate you. Have people jealous of you. Have people stabbing you in the back, trying to steal from you, rob from you. Jacob experienced it with Laban. Laban knew he was anointed, so he used him for his anointing for multiple, multiple, multiple years. And you could jump into the story on your own. Jacob and Laban, Google it. It's the best concordance. But these are the places that we see is, is that we can and we will as we walk and say yes to God. And we go all in forever. All in forever. It's going to challenge us because it's an eternal yes. It's a perpetual yes. And the fires of God will want to burn inside of us. And as they burn, and as they burn, they're going to get to certain things that were like, hey, whoa, I didn't know that was on the altar. Holy Spirit's called an all-consuming fire. There's something about our yeses. There's something about this commitment to God that's eternal, that as we walk in it, 
as we walk with perfect love, it's going to absolutely, absolutely bring us to a land that we fear. It's actually a very natural part of how God operates. His perfect love casts out fear. And as you walk with God, you're walking with perfect love, you're bound to meet fear. And as you meet it, it's in the nature of God to want it to see cast out. It's in the nature of God to literally begin to pull it out and cast it out. It's in the nature of who he is. And because God is, you know, we call the Holy Spirit a gentleman. We call God a gentleman and things like this. He will invite you to perfect love, to walk with perfect love. And you'll meet spaces where fear begins to swell up. And fear begins to go vroom and grip your heart. And you hear God say, all in. All in. And you're like, how many times have you heard somebody say, or yourself say, uh, and I know I've heard it a lot in, in discipleship and connection with people. I've actually even wanted to say it myself. Is I know what God's telling me to do, but. How many of you guys have heard that really big but? <laughs> just, just really wedges in there. I know what God's telling me to do, but. I'm going to need some more money. I know what God's telling me to do, but these people are just wicked. I know what God's telling me to do, but I can't sing. I know what God's telling me to do, but I can't play guitar. I know what God's telling me to do, but really, uh, seriously, how, like, you know, like, seriously, come on, guys. Like, come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's the thing I miss about youth group is the explanations were so wonderful. It was just like, I'm really struggling because, you know, like, it's really hard. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean by that explanation. That's very, very specific. That's... Super, super helpful. <laughs> and it, it's these places, though, that we, we, we see that, 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 that this yes to God has us walking, and we're like, hey, time out. I'm really hungry. When are you going to provide some food? The Israelites in the desert complained about it. Ah, man, I really liked it when I had the meat in Egypt. We get so uncomfortable in this, these places of fearing rejection, fearing failure, fearing pain and punishment, that sometimes we're so uncomfortable in that fear, we actually long for bondage again. The Israelites did it. Hey, I'm starving. We weren't, we weren't starving in Egypt. Why'd you take us out? We had big things of meat. How crazy is that, that our fear can literally lead us to long for a place of bondage that no longer challenges that fear. But I see it time and time again. God begins to author love in my life, and it literally is causing me to and provoking me to love my enemy. You know how frustrating that is? Seriously, like, think about how frustrating that is. How bad do you want to continue to hate on your enemy and fight him? Our enemies, just, they're, they're the worst, right? And like God says, like, love them. Love them. He even prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He makes a meal for us. He has our enemies there, and he invites us to that meal. There's this really beautiful, uh, this beautiful uh, scripture that I really love. And it's in 1 John 2.15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does it mean for us to go all in with Jesus? What does it mean for you and I to go all in with Jesus? Well, I think it means choosing love for God. And I think that sometimes our fears can hide 
in our love for this world. And a love for this world isn't classified as, hey, I love the, the, the people in this world. That's not what it's talking about when it's saying a love for this world. It's talking about for a love for those things in this world that aren't of God, which are the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But see, sometimes our places of fear are hiding in our pride. Sometimes our places of fear are hiding in our places that we've grown to love in this world, our places of status, our places of success. So we say that we're driven for success, and we, we, we categorize it as a good thing, as being motivated, as being determined. But sometimes our drive for success is because we have a really giant fear of failure. I bet if we really look close, our, our greatest patterned sins in our life are riddled and authored by fear are riddled and authored by fear. I look at biblical examples of being all in, and the ones I think of are the widow's might, where she gave everything she had. Everything she had, and on the other end of that, the biblical fails to all in. You know, you look up YouTube fails, uh, like falling, and you ever look up these fails? I don't ever look them up, because I'm really kind and considerate, and I would never laugh at somebody falling. <laughs> On the other side of the widow's might, you see the, the rich young ruler who, who wouldn't give all of his riches. Oh, you asked too great of a thing. See, he had said yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, got that, yeah. He was like perfect in the commandments. He was just crushing it. He was the all-star. He's the one that we'd bring up at like volunteer banquets and be like, dude, right? And everyone would be like, yeah, totally, Absolutely. He was the bee's knees. Is that a thing? <laughs> he was awesome. He was dope. He was the man. He was on fire. And there was that place. There was that place that he feared giving it all up. He was that place of, of fear. He could say yes a hundred times, and then he batted his eyes on that hundred and one. He blinked. He blinked twice. He blinked three times. And we see these places of biblical all in is. We see David dancing in the streets after victory. And he went all in. All in. Danced naked. That's crazy. That's all in. That's all off. Absolutely. <laughs> That's all out. <laughs> Jacob wrestling. <laughs> it's biblical. <laughs> Jacob wrestling with an angel for a blessing. Refused to let go. It's like, no, I will not let go until you bless me. I will not let go, I will not let go, I will not let go. Got his hip jacked up. Yeah, I will not let go. All in, all in, no matter what it took. He could have been slain, he could have been hurt, he could have been really seriously. He went all in on that thing. Samson pushing down the pillars, killing all those Philistines. Man, he went all in. You know what I mean? Like literally, all in, he died. <laughs> That's a big time all in. Jesus on the cross. Or maybe we could even just say Jesus for his whole life went all in. He literally defined his life as one of I do as I see my father do. The fullness of his behavior, the fullness of his actions were measured by the father's behaviors, the father's words, and the father's heart. What other way to perfectly define all in but to say I'm simply and entirely and holistically forever defined by father. My actions, my behaviors, my words, my language, my heart, my attitude, my perspectives. 
So many times we want to motivate ourselves to fix these things, and sometimes the motivation can be out of fear. Like if people knew how I really acted, you know what I mean? They would reject me. So our fear and our desire to adjust our behavior is because of the judgment of others. Is that not just a really fancy way of having a fear of rejection? Having a fear of being perceived as a failure? Is that really our best bet and our best means to change? Is the pressures of Christians that seem to have it more right or more together than us? Is that really the best bet we've got? Is that really our best? Is that I walk into church and the reason church exists is so that I feel bad for the wrong things I do? Well, that's not why it exists at all. Because I can guarantee you that everyone's walking here with the same thought. Is God's holy and I'm not. God's holy and I'm not. And if anyone walks in here thinking God's holy and I'm a whole lot holier than everyone else, then God literally points to that person as a place of pride and arrogance. That person is a person who's actually developed the confidence of righteousness, not because God clothed them with it in humility, but that person cultivated righteousness by critical and judgmental mentalities. My righteousness is because my my righteousness was gained and found because I'm an elite morality. I have elite morality in my life. I don't lie like that person lies. I don't cheat like that person cheats. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't sin the way that person over there sins. See, this call of God in our life is to everything, everything and nothing less. And what a daunting call in our life when we really don't have experience giving everything. We don't really have experience being all in, even in our marriages. It's a wonderful journey to go all in every single day. It's a wonderful journey. And how many times at year three, year five, year 10, I haven't been beyond that, but I've heard stories 15, 25, 35, 45. Do you still realize that you have to be very intentional to go all in? Very intentional not to reserve anything. I've been married for almost 10 years in August 8th, 10 years, right? Come on, high five. We're at nine. That's so good. And we've got a fourth kid on the way, and we really still do love each other. Uh, and that's a, that's a fun thing. Our, our kids love church and us and family, so that's really good, right? Uh, wonderful. Jess has been doing a great job. So, <laughs> but nine years. What I've noticed about nine years that's really interesting is that I love the way marriage challenges me as a man in my humility more than anything else I've experienced. It's daunting the amount of vulnerability that you can feel in marriage, right? Daunting. It's incredible. It's incredible the amount of vulnerability, the amount you can feel weak when you're truly transparent and connected to somebody, the, how hard it is to say sorry sometimes, how hard it is to lay down your weapons. But I believe that if we learn to lean into these places of pride and find humility, that if we lean into these places of fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of pain and punishment, that we're going to be able to walk with perfect love in a profound way. Some of the moments in our, in our marriage that I've really loved is the moments where I'll be wrong, and I know I'm wrong, and I find out I'm wrong in the middle of me talking and pleading my wrong case. <laughs> Have you ever had this happen, guys? You're just talking, and you're like, aww, come on, God, why didn't you tell me before I started to defend myself? 
Because, you know, I think I might have been a good lawyer. And I, so you get your case together. You've got your evidence. And you only present the evidence that makes your case right. You know what I'm talking about? And you're really good at it. You know what I mean? So, like, sometimes I'll be in the middle of my case. And I'll be like, and I'll just smile. Just be like, I'm wrong, huh? <laughs> Being hard, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Whew. Yeah. Okay. What do we do? What do I do? <laughs> How do we fix this? How do I repair this? It's the hardest place. Because I think sometimes as, as a man, there's this, there's this great confidence we find in our strengths. In this flex. You know what I mean? You see the guys in the gym and they're just... There are spirit animals as they're just buff and they're flexing in the mirror. You know what I mean? And we don't do that because, you know, it's kind of social, like, you know, it's not great. You just to be flexing in the mirror. But in our heads, you know, like we flex. You know, in our hearts, we like flex. You know, yeah, I'm still strong. I can still make. <laughs> There's this beautiful invitation for us to find humility. For us to find places of confidence, not in our own strength, but places of confidence because we've laid down our life entirely. We've laid down what makes us strong. We've laid down what makes us great. We've laid down those things that we love in this world that have been a comfort to us. I've told you many times before, those places of a love for this world, for a love for victory. I had it in competitiveness. I took great strength from it. I loved those elements of this world. I loved being the best. I loved beating everybody all of the time. And then asking them with a really snarky way, do you want to play again? <laughs> I loved these things. I took great joy. I took great confidence in being the best. And hidden in those places was a tremendous fear of failure. Was this place inside of me that says, unless I am this, I do not know acceptance and love. And I believe that these are the places that the Holy Spirit invites us to. Places that are saying yes to love. It's, a, it's an eternal yes. It's a forever yes. It's a covenant yes. It's a yes to all, all of the time. And I believe it's a really big no to fear. And this is the last point I'm going to labor on. And it's Sometimes uh, when, when somebody is really riddled with anxiety, with depression, with fear, or really there's just this riddle of fear in their life, uh, they'll ask me, like, hey, what is God leading me to do? What is God calling me to do? And, and I'll say it like this, is that I really believe that God's always authoring love in our life, which means he's upending and undoing the story of fear in our life. So if you can recognize fear in your life, you can bet your bottom dollar that God is leading you into spaces that challenge that fear so you can find his perfect love. Because until that story of fear is upended, is undone, is unraveled and destroyed, that place of perfect love can't be realized in your life. And the Bible is really clear that it sees, it sees this, this, this fear as torment. It even says perfect love casts all fear because fear involves torment and God is not that author. God doesn't author torment. So if torment is in your life, it is in God's will to author love and upend that torment. Do you have night terrors? Trust me, God is walking into the space of delivering love there. Do you have this deep, profound insecurity when you walk around people? God is authoring love there. 
It's authoring love. It's not just freedom from fear. He's authoring love, which is the act of freeing you from fear. Because if you just remove fear, or if you go up to this altar call and you say, yeah, I struggle with fear and I want God to deliver me from fear, that's a really good desire. But if you don't have God author love, those places of fear will just be re-realized the minute you step back outside of this door. Because fear doesn't get delivered, it doesn't get cast out until perfect love gets authored inside of you. Does this make sense? See, the deliverance of fear is not just like, hey, I'm going to take something out and now you're good. It's, look, his love comes in and it moves out fear. It's a really bad tenant. You know what I mean? It's a really bad tenant. It's that guy that, I had a guy rent my house once. And uh, he wrote mean things on the mirror so that when you would have the shower go back on, the steam would reveal all the things he wrote. He stuffed a rag in my toilet all the way down to the bottom. Uh, he put a shot glass in the garbage disposal and shredded the thing. Uh, yeah, he wasn't very nice. But um, if he's listening to this podcast, I still love you, man. Uh, <laughs> he hooked me up with a really good deal on a, on a Nixon watch. So I kind of felt like maybe we're even, you know, no, it was jacked up. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, he, that was not a good tenant, you know what I mean? That person wasn't taking care of my house well, and they were, they were kind of mean to me. That wasn't very nice, but I still forgive them. I love them. But this is how it is for us, is fear torments us. It tears at us. It causes depression, anxiety. It causes these places of feeling like I don't belong. I'm not accepted. I can't even hear the narrative of love well because fear is so muffling. The narrative and the messages of love coming in, it's distorting everything. And the experiences I have with others lead me to believe that they don't really care about me. There's this really beautiful phrase that uh, Dobbins and then my dad and now me say is that, uh, is that we don't live with the facts of our life, with, but with the interpretation of the facts of our life. See, our perception is definitely not truth. It's definitely not God's truth. So when you perceive people don't like you, hate you, or believe that they want you to die and you believe they want you to just be failure awful and die... You may be right about like 1%, but so many people are truly just hurting themselves and they're hurting you as a result. So often this hurt and this pain that you experience is not personal. Even though it looks personal, it looks like it's directed at you. So many times these places of hurt that you experience are about them. And the way you see it is about you. I see God inviting us to a place today of going all in in a forever way and truly knowing that this all in, this yes to God is going to have us go on a walk right into the middle of our fears. And a really amazing way to walk in the middle of your fears is to go, oh, okay, cool. <sighs> yeah, that's awesome. What I like to do is I like to, I like to get in those places where I'm the most stressed, I'm the most anxious, and I like to choose to walk into his presence and leave those things behind. I like to choose to worship and leave those things behind. I like to literally let them get to the places of where they're completely overwhelming me and to say yes to a relationship with God, say yes to his love and receive the fullness of what he's got for me. I'm going to read one more scripture and then we're going to finish. Ephesians 1, 16 through 23. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. For above all, rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not in only this age, but also in the one to come, and to put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. At the end of the day, I can recognize this, that when I identify fear, when I identify every place that is not in him, I can trust that he is above all, he is in me, and that he is working through me. And that his narrative for me is to be free from fear, is to be delivered from fear, and for him to author perfect love. And I say yes to a pursuit. I say yes to continually pressing into that reality. I say yes to running after him and that when I wake up and I do that day bad and I don't do it right and I mess up a bunch and sin perpetuated and brokenness perpetuated and I couldn't stop it, I wake up the next day and say, I'm still coming after you, Jesus. I'm still pursuing you in my heart and I'm still saying no to fear. I'm still saying no to anxiety. I'm still saying no to depression and I'm not in denial about these things, but I am. I am fixing my eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of my faith. And the joy set before me endured the cross. That's what I'm setting my eyes on. That's what I'm setting my eyes on. That's the hope of my calling, is that I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. Well, that's going to do it for us today here on the Mountain Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. We want to hear feedback from you guys. We also have a few discussions that are going to be coming up throughout the week, possibly two or three more, two brand new people coming onto the show and one uh, back up again with Lawrence Anna. In the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys later.